home with all our menus from the different restaurants and we look at the Ruth Chris menus. Oh, that's awesome. Look at the filet. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, the baked potato is really great. And oh, we have menus from other restaurants, but we never go to the restaurant and eat the food. It's like we have this, this book is full of menus, so to speak, of awesome, awesome feasting and heavenly realities. But I tell you, God wants us to ex experience, experience, experience Him. And it can happen. See, this is just so cool because it's not just, this is not going to just be information that we'll get as we read the scriptures. But the invisible realities that are in here, that are written down in here, once they get in us, the invisible realities will bring forth faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith will arise and then comes the manifestation in this life. Like Alan just said, we can have the goodness of God in the land of the living now. So this is like, you know, like, like Jonah said, they have forsaken their mercies. They have forsaken their, they're, 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 uh, uh, they're, they're, not, they're not eating their meal. It's there for them. There are revela there's revelation in this book of the Christ that directly speak to you and to me. For, it's for me. It's for you. And if we, I just, this is my prayer. By the end of this short time together, my prayer is that the Spirit of God will do something supernatural in every one of us to make us hunger for this. To make us commit to get into it to set our heart to understand it. Because it's not about the book, it's about the God of the book. Jesus said this, he said, you search these scriptures and you think that in these scriptures you have life, but they speak of me. And he told the Pharisees, but you won't come to me that you might have life. So I'm not talking about a book. God is not a book. God is not a book. I get kind of frustrated when I hear preachers talk about the Bible, this, the Bible, this, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible says that. I want to meet this Mr. Bible one day. The Bible says, the Bible says, I just, it bothers me because the Bible doesn't speak. The Bible doesn't say anything. It's a revelation of Christ in the Bible. The spirit speaks. The scripture is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet to guide us somewhere. It implies the scripture takes us somewhere. Those who don't take, those who don't go where the scripture is to take them, they stop as the, the Bible as the, as the end. It's not the end. We don't worship a book. We don't preach the, the book. You can know the book and not know the God of the book. The Pharisees knew the book. They could quote, oh yes, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Oh, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you be little among Judah, he shall come out of thee and all this. They knew the book, but they didn't have the star, the light from above that led the Gentiles to where he was. And it takes both. It takes the spirit illuminating the light that's in the book that we can see the Christ. Because saints, there are two trees in this book. There are two trees in this book. And you are either eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you are eating from the tree of life when you read this book. And if, if the Spirit of God doesn't show us that there are two trees hidden in this book, it's not just as simple as Old Testament, New Testament, because the tree of life is in all of it. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in all of it. Without a revelation of the Spirit, you can make the words of Christ's law and legalism.
It's awesome. Let's take a look at this in, in uh, Luke 24, if you would. Luke 24. It's so important that we see that without the Spirit of God, we cannot really know what's in this book. I love this scene in Luke 24. Last chapter of Luke. This whole chapter is amazing, but let's just go to where um, Jesus appears on the road to Emmaus and there's a couple of disciples that are walking and it's the third day and his body is gone and they're distraught because they thought that he was going to be the Christ and now they get news that his body's not in the tomb and they're, they're totally discouraged and they're walking from Jerusalem back to Emmaus, a little town north of Jerusalem and they're walking home and, and suddenly Jesus comes to their side as a stranger and the, his identity is hidden from them by the Spirit of God. They don't know it's him. And so he starts talking to them and says, you know, what, what are you guys talking about? And they said, are you the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard about what's going on in Jerusalem, what happened? Which I think is pretty cool because it must have been the whole city was aware of this. Are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened? And so they begin to say, you know, what happened about the Christ and how he, we thought he was going to be the Messiah and he got crucified and, and now his body can't be found and we don't know what to do. We don't know what's going on. And, and then this is what Jesus says. Verse 25, chapter 24, verse 25. He said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't I necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going and he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him saying, stay with us for it is getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the, the eleven those who were, and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on, on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself, he himself stood in their midst. I love that verse 36. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. While we tell these things, he is here. Isn't that awesome? While we tell these things of him, he is here in our midst. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still, while they still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them, always trying to comfort them, to reassure them. 
And now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And this is the verse, the key verse, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then he talked about the meaning of the scriptures and the meaning of his death and resurrection and the forgiveness of sins that would be proclaimed in all the world. And when he, when he said this, saints, he began to talk about himself that is written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms. If you go to any Jewish bookstore, any Jewish bookstore and buy the scriptures from a Jewish bookstore, of course, you will not have a New Testament in it, of course. And you look in the table of contents of a Jewish Bible, Jewish scriptures, you look in the table of contents, the contents have three divisions for all the books of the Old Testament. The first is the Torah, the five books of Moses, written by Moses, the Torah. The second division in the contents, division one, division two, division three, division two is the prophets. Under the prophets, you'll have Isaiah, Jeremiah, all, Ezekiel, all the major prophets. The third division in the contents page of the Jewish Bible is Psalms. Psalms. Under Psalms are all the other books. Minor prophets, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. What Jesus was saying here is that he is written in the entire Old Testament. When he said the writings of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He wasn't just saying just the Psalms. He was saying Psalms was a heading of all the rest of the books. He's in every single book. The key to to, uh, I believe the key to receiving life from reading the scriptures is knowing this awesome key that they're all about him. They're all about him. If we look for him in the scripture, the book comes alive. Paul said that all scripture leads to this one thing, a revelation of Jesus himself and a call to faith in him. That's simple. Isn't that awesome? And it's so cool to see him hidden in all the scriptures. We just had a class a few Sundays ago. We talked about Samson's riddle, you know, Samson's riddle where he slew the lion and came back and the dead lion had honey inside the lion. And he gave this riddle at his wedding. And if he could solve the riddle, you could get wedding garments for the wedding. And it's all about Christ. It's all hidden in there with the lion, the death of the lion and the honey inside the lion. These stories are strange until you plug in the code, the master key, Christ, and then it comes alive and you go, oh my God, that's it. That's what that's saying. And what does that do? Does it give you more things to do? Does it give you uh, more work to do? No, it gives you a revelation of him and it strengthens your faith in him and you go, wow, how big he is. How awesome this is. No man could have planned this. No man could have done this. The ark, the ark, Noah's ark, awesome picture of Christ. Here's the, the world's about to be judged. There's this one door you can go through to escape judgment. The door on that ark, the ark being a picture of Christ himself. God places us in Christ. He takes us through judgment to another world, a cleansed world, a new world where there's a rainbow of promise of no more judgment on the other side. It's all Christ. It's all Christ. I mean, there's, there's 
picture after picture. This is what he did on the road to Emmaus. He opened the scriptures and said, this was the Christ. This was a picture of the Messiah. This is the Christ. They didn't even know it was him at the time. And they, they said their hearts burned within them when they saw this is the true meaning of the scripture. This is what the scripture is for. It's supposed to reveal him. This thing always falls. Anyway, is that cool? It's just encouraging to see that, um, that we have this hidden in the scripture, this treasure that we, all we have to do is ask the spirit to open our minds that we might understand the scripture. Is that too loud? See, so here, here are these, these believers, they knew the scriptures. These Jewish followers, were, they knew the scriptures. They could quote the scripture. So he had to have something, something had to happen to them so they could see what was hidden in there. So one of the first things I think is really crucial is that we go to the scriptures with this complete reliance on the spirit to open our eyes. It's so important because if you go there saying, I see, Jesus said, then you'll, you'll, you'll remain blind. But if you go there saying, I, I am blind, help me see, then our eyes will be open. Going to scriptures without preconceived knowledge or, uh, or ideas about what I believe about certain things can really keep you from seeing what's actually hidden there. So that's one of the keys. And the scripture says that we have the spirit of Christ in us. And Paul said, who can know the thoughts of God but the spirit of God? So only through the spirit of God can we know the thoughts of God and see what the scripture really is saying and what it really means. Um, well, take a look. Let's look at uh, 2 Peter, please. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. While you're turning to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, um, I love this scripture. It says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not. That's like my favorite verse because I'm always saying, Lord, show me great and mighty things that I know not. Paul, you know, Paul said this about a per person. He says, if, if anybody thinks he knows anything, um, tell him that he doesn't know anything like he ought to know it. If anybody thinks he knows everything, tell him he doesn't know anything like he ought to know it. There's so much to know about him. There's so much. We should always go to the scriptures with this revelation of, of there's so much more to see. Lord, I'm blind. Show me. Open my eyes to see. Take a look at this, saints. Second, I mean, uh, yeah, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I shall always be ready, this is Peter, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. And I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at my time after my departure, you may be, you may be able to call, to call these things to mind. Now, Peter's about to talk about something that's really cool, really powerful. But before he says it, he says, I'm, I'm telling you these things, even though you already know them, so that you can bring them to mind, so you can remember them. Keep in mind, saints, that I think two of the, the, two of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit 
is to reveal and to remind. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he shall bring to remembrance all that I've spoken to you. It doesn't help to have revelation and then forget it. You can get all kind of revelation, and if you forget it, it does us no good. So the Spirit reveals and reminds, reveals and reminds. You know, James talks about the man who looks into a mirror and forgets what he looks like. If you forget the revelation that you're a new creation, as a man who looks in his, fa his face in the natural and forgets what he looks like, he says that, that's the same way a, a believer is when he looks into the perfect law of liberty or another word for the gospel, James called the gospel, the law of liberty or freedom. We look into the perfect law of liberty or the, the good news of grace. If we forget what manner of man we are, our face, if we forget we're a son of God, if we, if we forget by looking at the scripture who we are in Christ and walk away, that man is not blessed or empowered in his deeds, but a man who doesn't forget who he is, James says, I tell you, that man shall be blessed and empowered in his deeds because it will be manifested who he is. He doesn't forget who he is, you see? So the Spirit of God reveals and reminds. So, we not, so, we don't, so we're not a forgetful hearer. Re reveals, reminds. I believe it, it is the two wings of the great eagle referred to in Revelation 12. The two wings of the great eagle is the Holy Spirit taking the bride, taking the woman to the place, Revelation 12, to a place prepared by God, which is in Christ, that she might be comforted, protected from the face of the serpent. In that language in Revelation 12, the two wings of the great eagle, I think, speak of the, the major work of the Holy Spirit to reveal and to remind, reveal and remind. So as we, as we see Christ in the scripture, revelation comes to us. The Spirit will remind us of these things. And that's what Peter is saying here at the beginning. He goes, I'm reminding you, even though you already know, so that after my, at my departure, you will know. Look at verse 15. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you, you may be able to call these things to mind. Verse 16, for we do not follow cleverly devised tales when we were made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him in the holy mountain. Now look at this, verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is awesome. What Peter is saying here, saints, is that as apostles... We are built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What Peter's saying here is that the prophetic word is in the scripture of the Christ. Everything that's in the scripture speaks of him. We as apostles heard the voice directly from heaven, the father directly from heaven and not through a prophet. We heard the voice directly from heaven, the father saying, this is my son. What Peter is saying here when he says in verse 19, we have the prophetic word made more sure. He's saying here that we have an experience. 
We don't have just scripture that we're reading from prophets that spoke for God hundreds of years ago. We have an experience. We heard the voice. We have the prophetic word made more sure because we have heard him for ourselves. Now I've heard this very verse preached this way. I've heard people preach this verse and they say that verse 19 says that we have the prophetic word made more sure, that we have the prophetic word made more sure or more sure. I've heard it preached that the Bible is more sure than a voice from heaven. That what Peter is saying here is that you can depend on this book and I don't care what your experience is, this Bible is more sure than even the Father speaking from heaven. That is not what Peter is saying. That's, that verges on Bible worship. People that, people that say the gifts of the Spirit have passed away and there's no experience in God. I mean, some of these, some of these preachers, I wanna ask them, where in your theology is experiencing God? It's not just a book. God is not a book. God is living. He heals today. He manifests his life today. The spirit of God is moving today. There is power. There is supernatural reality in Christ today. And they say those same people that teach that it's all about the book say, oh, yeah, the verse that says when the perfect has come, then that which is part shall be done away. So the perfect has come. The Bible has come. It's been canonized. We've got all the pages together. It's, the perfect has come. Therefore, the gifts have passed away. No. If you read the Bible that way, you will miss the tree of life. You'll miss the revelation, the experiential revelation that's waiting for all of us as we grow deeper and deeper in the revelation of Christ that's hidden in here. And that's what Peter is saying here. He's saying, he's saying the revelation we got from the Father himself has made the prophetic word more sure. Is he putting down the scripture? No, in fact, what does he say? The very next verse. You do well to pay attention to this prophetic word because it's like a lamp shining in a dark place in this world. The scripture's like a lamp shining in this dark place, the world. But something should happen when you do that, he says. Until, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Peter is telling you and I, that the same experiential revelation that they got from the Father, that this is the Christ, is the same experiential revelation you and I can have as we pay attention to the scripture, a lamp that shines in a dark place. If we know how to read it, to look for him in it, the spirit of God will open our eyes and a morning star shall arise, not in the future and when we die and go to heaven, but a day will dawn within you and the morning star will arise in your heart, a revelation, no longer a lamp outside of you on a page, but suddenly a light within, a day dawning within, arising in your heart of the Christ. Who are the spirits? Who are the sons of God? But those who are the spirit of God. And we know we're his because he has given us his spirit and his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are his. It's experiential. And nobody can talk you out of it if he tells you you are his own. We don't worship a Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. He's not a book. 
They looked at the temple and they said, oh God, look Jesus, look at this temple, how wonderful, the house of God, the temple, look at the stones, how beautiful. This is where God lives behind that veil. This is awesome, this is the temple of God. And Jesus said, not one stone shall be left upon another. This is not my God. I am the true temple and I shall raise it up in three days, Jesus said. He can say the same thing about this Bible. Sometimes people worship the Bible. They look at the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. We don't worship a book. It's easy to put a book on a shelf and do your own thing and take the book down when you want to. God is a, is a lion, as, as C.S. Lewis said, he's not easily tamed. You can't control God, he's a book, put him away and read him when you wanna read him. No, he's a God, he's God. It's awesome. And he's good, he's good, he's good. The revelation in this book opens a portal to another reality. No other book in the world can do that because it has the key in it of Christ. He is the gate. We can walk through his door and find pasture in another world called the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness and peace and joy is there. His righteousness, his peace, his joy in the spirit. And that's where we live every day, in the spirit. We're no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. And why? Because the revelation in this book has shown us that he's a God who lives. He's not like the idols of the Gentiles who cannot speak, who cannot see, who cannot hear. Our God is a living God and he speaks and he hears and he acts and he wants to touch us and he wants to comfort us. He wants to answer our prayers. He wants to bring to this world the cries of our heart. Ask me anything, he said, in my father's name. Ask me in my name, ask my father and I shall do it. But God of reality, not a God of just the mind, but a guide of a God of reality. Just in wrapping this up, one of the things I've learned in, in reading the scripture that has really helped me a lot is that when we see that the whole, that all of scripture speaks of Christ, sometimes it's hard to see Christ in some of the verses because you'll read verses that are just pure law. I mean, if you do this, I'll bless you. If you don't do this, I'll curse you. Um, and so you go, well, how, how, do, how do I find Christ in that? Well, it's, it's so cool. Paul actually addresses that in Romans 10. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses is saying to the children of Israel on the mountain of blessing and mountain of cursing, he's saying to the children of Israel that you have the law, keep it and you'll be blessed. If you don't keep it, you'll be cursed. And he tells Israel, he says, now don't say you don't have, the, don't say send somebody up to heaven to get the law because you have it. There's no excuse. And, and don't say send somebody to the depths of the sea to get the law because you have it. It's in your mouth and in your heart. I've spoken it to you, Moses said. So that's the scene. Israel, Moses, the law, blessing, cursing. And he's telling them, don't say go up to heaven to get the law. You have it. You're without excuse. And don't say, don't go, don't go down to the depths of the earth to try to find the law, what God wants us to do because you have it. Paul takes those words in Romans 10. That's all in Deuteronomy 30. When you get a chance, look at that Deuteronomy 30. Paul takes that 
in Romans 10 and quotes that verse. And he says, but the righteousness which is of faith does not speak like that. And he rewords the words of Moses. And he rewords the words of Moses and he says, when Moses says to the people, don't ask for someone to go up into the heavens to get the law, Paul rewords Moses' words and says, that, that is actually saying, do not say go into the heavens and bring Christ down. He changes the whole concept of law with the person of Christ. And then he says, and when Moses says, do not go to the depths of the earth to find the law, for you have the law, Paul changes the words of Moses in Romans 10. And he says, that is actually saying properly, now understood in the new covenant, do not say who will bring Christ up from the dead, for he is risen. And then he says, for the word of this Christ, who is your righteousness, of which the law was trying to bring you, which can never bring you righteousness. This Christ who is your righteousness, this word of grace is in your mouth and in your heart that if you simply believe that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For the heart believes unto righteousness and the mouth unto salvation. Isn't that cool? So he actually changes the words of Moses and says, the righteousness which is of faith doesn't speak like that anymore. It's awesome. It's what Paul is saying. If you, if you want to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is saying that in the reading of the old covenant, a veil remains over their minds even until this day. A veil in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, a veil remains over the Jewish mind and over the minds of many Christians to this day in the reading of the old covenant. But then it says, but when they turn to Christ, the veil is taken away. In other words, when in the synagogue, they would read the scriptures in the synagogue. In the reading of the old covenant or the tenses or the verbs are wrong. The tenses are the verbs. Or if you do this, you will be this way. If you do this, God will do this way. It's the reading of the tenses and the way the words are written. You have to reword the words in light of Christ. And Paul gives us precedent for that in Romans 10. Because in the reading of the old covenant, that's why we have such, so much confusion in the church. Paul says, there are those who want to preach the law, not knowing this verse, that the law is not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. The law is not for the righteous because the law, which is supposed to be a means to righteousness, is, which, which can never deliver, has come. Righteous, righteousness has already come. For, the, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. So those who are zealous to preach the Old Testament, preach law, they preach law to the, to the righteous. They're already righteous. Paul is saying, the law is for the unrighteous. Why? That all mouths might be stopped, that they might see that they are not righteous. So in the reading of the Old Covenant, when we see it's all about Christ, the veil is removed. And Paul says, then, then the spirit of liberty can come in that person even liberty in a believer's life, that who already has the spirit of God, but we've got so much Galatianism in our thinking, a mixture of law and grace, that we're not free. We're not really free. We're not enjoying 
You know, I'm talking about the church as a whole. You know, the church as a whole is not really enjoying their righteousness in Christ. Guilt-ridden and condemned and fearful, weak in the faith, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. They see somebody on TV, TV that says, you know, you get this oil from, from Jerusalem, this is the key to everything, and they send all their money to get this oil from Jerusalem. Or, or, they, or they, the latest fad, you know, the, the newest book out about how to, you know, get wealthy because God will give you favor if you give $222.32 because that number is a special number. God gave me the number in a dream and tossed to and fro with ridiculous things because we're not established in Christ with the reality of who we are in him and who he is in us. Well, just to wrap it up, I just want to encourage us all to let the spirit of God work a hunger in us for the scripture like never before. I remember when I was a young believer, I used to get in, jump on my bed with the, with the Bible when I was a young believer and just smell my Bible. Did you ever do that? It smelled good. It just smelled holy, you know, it's like, ah. Oh. I would just lay in bed and smell my Bible and like, feel like, I feel like I was getting closer to God. You know, we do some of the stupidest stuff, but, but it was a cool time in my life because I just couldn't wait to get home from school and just, I just poured over the scripture, you know, and just like couldn't, it's like the spirit of God wants us to, and I, and I had such a mixture of law and grace for the first 10 years of my Christian life. That's, that's how I hit burnout. I, I just gave up on Christianity after 10 years of being a believer because I was like, I can't live this life. I can't do it. And that's when God revealed to me, that's when he opened my eyes when I thought he had forsaken me because everybody talked to, taught me that, hey, if you don't act right, then he's not, gonna, he's not gonna be with you, he's out of there. And, and yet he was still there with me and I didn't understand that. And, and then he opened my eyes to the mystery of Christ and what he did and his love for me. And, and then he just began to, un, everything began to unravel. The religiosity that I had, you know, of, you know, as a Christian, you know, knowing the scripture and stuff unraveled. I used to have like an answer for everybody that had a problem, you know, just had a scripture, 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 but I'd never listened to them, never heard their heart, never really was just there for them. It's always with an answer, you know, that's just so, such a sign of legalism when, you, when you're not even hearing the person talk to you, but you just have a Bible verse to give to them. It's not him, it's not him. Sometimes you need to say nothing, just hear, just weep with those who weep and laugh with those who laugh, just be with them. It's just cool, it's just so cool. The reality of Christ is just, it's real. And where I was burning out in those 10 years, from the time he began to show me his finished work, it just gets better and better and better. And this is over 20 some, 25 years since the revelation. And it just gets better and better and better. It's just the unsearchable riches in Christ. It's not true that we can't understand the scripture. The enemy will say, you can't understand this book. It's too complicated. No, it's simple. It's all about him. It's all about him. Don't let the enemy tell you, you know, you can't understand this book. I need to have somebody else teach me. No, let the spirit of God open our eyes to him. He chooses the foolish to confound the wise, the weak to confound the strong. He didn't go to the educated in Jerusalem. He went to the uneducated in Galilee. 
And these words are written by the Spirit of God in a way where unless we become as a child, we will not even get it. So it's awesome. He made it easy. He did the hard part and gave us the easy part. Ah. You encouraged this morning? Cool. Thanks for your love and your encouragement. And um, I'm excited about the, what the future holds. God is good. God is with us. Can you stand, please? Lord, we just thank you that you're with us and that you're teaching us how to, how to hear your voice. And I just pray that we would all just have such a new hunger for the scripture that we would set aside time to read, ponder, meditate. Lord, I pray by the Holy Spirit that we would see that the heart of it all is a revelation of your son that the mystery of your will has been revealed and the mystery of your will is simply that we would believe on your son that we might be righteous because of what he did as the son said sacrifices and offerings you don't desire father but in the volume of the book, it is written of me. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. And I have come to do thy will, O God. For you have prepared for me a body. And I willingly give my body. That your will might be done. That all men might be sanctified by that will. Simply through faith simply by believing that the Son of God took away the sin of the world. For by this will, we are made holy and sanctified through Christ. Lord, I pray your blessings on my brothers and my sisters, and I pray that we leave here today and enjoy the weekend, and I pray that we would grow in love for one another and speak truth to one another, speak Christ to one another and share what we're seeing in the scripture with each other and, and thereby grow in faith, building the muscle of faith. No more anemic, no more eating wood, hay and stubble, but beholding the diamonds and the jewels of Christ, eating food and experiencing God in a way that is supernatural way that man cannot explain for how can these things be except God be amen thank you James yeah, now I understand why he's not good about emails and texts can't smell them. <laughs> um, Clark.
Mark and I graduated from the same seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And in all of the uh, seminary teaching, you know, the, so much of it is academic, so much of it is, is um, historical and, uh, and reason-based, and, and a lot of it was very, very good. But the tendency for, for many pastors is to create the Trinity as being Father, the Son, God the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Scriptures. And we've never really learned how to live by the Spirit. Now, the message this morning is not designed to put down the Word. You never heard that. If you did, you misunderstood what James was saying. The Word of God, God says about His Word that He's elevated His Word even above His name. And how high is His name? Pretty high. He's elevated his word even above his name. So he cares a lot about what he has to say. And so learn, learning and hearing what he has to say, but focusing on that from the position of Christ is how you understand the word. It's how revelation comes. It's how you get changed. And so spend more time in the word so that you begin to understand what it is to have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Uh, wonderful weekend. Thank you, James. And a great message uh, this morning. Appreciate you.